gonna be fun. On. Hello, Brooke Boney. G'day, Zanro. It's Bang On with Brooke Boney. Do you know how much I love alliteration and how excited I am that you are our special guest this week on Bang On? Do you know how excited I am to be here and bang on with you? Yes! Yay! Mifflehurst is still uh, in a Thai villa somewhere. I saw her doing a cooking class. And you know what? The cooking actually looked good. It looked like she'd actually learned something in the cooking class, which when you go on holidays doesn't always happen. No. You're going to get pissed halfway through the class and then just let the person who's teaching you do the rest <laughs> Take of the over. Yeah. But She actually looked like she achieved something. But Mif has been away all week and I am so excited when I said to Brooke Boney, longtime Triple J Breakfast News reader, newswoman, former SBS presenter, journalist and just baller. <laughs> hey, BB. want to bang on this sound week? really good. Your bio is strong. Mm. Um, and you said yes. So yeah. welcome to the Bang Fam. It's a great week to be here because it's NADOC week as well. Do I say happy NADOC? Yeah. Happy, happy NADOC. Because it's all about celebrating the um, contributions that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people make to Australian culture and just like Australian society more broadly. This year's theme as well I really love because mm. of her we can. You're a proud Gamilaro woman. You often talk to me about your aunties, your mother in particular, your family, but also I imagine that there are a lot of role models that you have in your own immediate life, whether they're public or private, that you look to. But ha- like, it feels so timely that that's the theme this year in terms mm. of the broader conversations that are happening about women's place in the world, women's place in Australian culture and women getting their dues. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the NADOC committee kind of comes up with um, with the theme for the year. And this year, you know, they took into account Me Too. The fact that Aboriginal women are quite often like the backbone of the community and don't often get the recognition that they deserve. Like when I think about my life and how fortunate I am, you know, I do breakfast normally. We talk to like what, nearly 2 million young Australians um, every week. Mm. And that's a bloody incredible place to be when you think about, um, you know, the fact that just a couple of decades ago, my grandparents wouldn't have even been allowed into pubs or uh, weren't allowed to vote. Um, like we've come a pretty long way and it's because of these really strong women throughout history who fought so incredibly hard to put me in this position, you know, like I think about that all the time and just pinch myself and think, God, they're legends. Do you think about your place though, that you're, that people are seeing you as a newsreader on Triple J Breakfast, doing stories on ABC News, when you were doing stuff at, at SBS, wherever you are partying hard and just think I could be like that one day as well. Like, do you think about that kind of power of representation? I do, but um, I also think about the fact that um, the work that I'm doing now is sort of paving the way for the next generation. So there's this Maya Angelou quote that I absolutely love and it says that your crown um, has already been paid for by the people who came before you. And so for me, like, I love thinking about that because it means that, you know, I've got the strength and the confidence to move forward in the world and think, no, I deserve to be here. People have already paid for this. But then also I know I have to work really hard because this isn't just for me so I can have a sweet pat over in Bondi. This is so that I can pave the way for the next generation of people to come through and it gets better and better and better until we have like equality, you know. There's been lots of celebrations of different women this week as well. You were telling me like when I was saying, what do you want to bang on about this week? And you were talking about bad bishes. Bad bishes in the history. In the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. Because like, it's true, you don't often hear many stories of Aboriginal history. It's getting better. Mm. I know that when I went to school, it was very much a British-European history that I was taught. 
with a smattering of indigenous history <laughs> with a sprinkling a little a, sp- a pinch of a pinch of indigenous history in this giant stew of western european cultural cultural history but there's so many stories that haven't been mm. told yet. And so many positive ones as well. Um, one of the ones uh, that I've been talking about this week has been about Truganini. And she is um, a woman from Tasmania. And she had this life that was sort of um, really defined by that first sort of 30 or 40 years of colonisation. So she was born about nine years after, um, you know, stuff started happening on the mainland. And so really that's like prime time for all of the bad shit. So, you know, she was raped and beaten. And she was, um, you know, she saw her parents um, go through really, really horrible times and, and die. And her fiance was like thrown over a boat and then she was raped by whalers. So she had this really horrible experience. But the thing that I love about her is that she persevered and she didn't let any of the things that happened to her um, dampen her will to survive. She literally did whatever it was that she had to do in order to survive. And then there's these pictures of her walking around Salamanca, um, that Salamanca area in Hobart. Mm. And she's got like a, a bonnet on her head. And she's dressed in like those sort of old Victorian clothes. And she's like walking around with a little dog. So she, she lived until she was 76. Wow. Which is incredible for for those times. I mean, all of the people around her, well, she would have outlasted everyone. Yeah. And I think that that's the, the real story here. It's not about, um, you know, we talk about disadvantage a lot and we talk about all of the things that are sort of negative when it comes to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. But there is an unrelenting will to survive in us. And I think the fact that there are still so many of us, um, you know, speaks to that. And that's something that we should celebrate. Resilience. 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 Mm. I was watching a documentary um, that I've been talking a little bit about on my radio show and I've been involved with over the last few years because I know the filmmakers called Her Sound, Her Story. And I saw it at the premiere on Wednesday night in Sydney and it was there was a, a few standout interviews. One of them was with Ellie Dixon, who's one of the singers in Carter Jala Kitadada. And whenever I, I've spoken to her before in my own life and she, she's just one of those people where it's just you just feel calm when you speak to her because mm. she's got such – she knows what's up. And she'll tell you calmly what's up, and have absolute <laughs> and absolute absolute faith that she, you know everything's going to be fine. And we've been here a long time, and we'll be here for a long time yet. But yeah, she said the same thing. She was like, you know, the fact that we have survived for so long, you know, it's the o- oldest continuing culture in the world, mm. and despite everything, still going, still here. It's something to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. So there's often this talk about, which is obviously still very relevant about the decimation of Aboriginal culture, of Aboriginal people. Mm. But the survival and that celebration of the survival, like you say, yeah, is something to to really be proud of. It's incredible. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for all of the stories that we hear about, you know, there not being enough harmony or reconciliation, when you think about all of those stories of survival and all of those stories of resilience, along the way there would have been incredible non-Indigenous people helping. Mm. And that's something to celebrate as well. Like That's a part of all of our history. It's not just all the negative stuff, which we also have to own. Um, it's those positive things as well. The idea about NAIDOC is it's a celebration of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture. And we celebrate it every year by having, like I had Emily Watamata come in to do a couple of beautiful live songs the other day on the radio. Um, we did a Gurumul J Files on Double J, on Triple J. There's been these great collaborations with young Indigenous artists. And across you know, the ABC and broadly, there's just celebrations everywhere. But I did see a really interesting tweet from Nakia Louie, who's a playwright, 
an actor, you know, a comedian. She's very spicy on Twitter. And she, she said, uh, I, w- I want to be famous, famous, not just NADOC famous. Yeah. And, I thought, <laughs> and you know, to, like, to, uh, she, she is famous, so that's fine. But I totally got that. I was like, yeah, that sort of thing where I imagine that a lot of Indigenous people would be like, oh, bloody hell, they're giving me a call again because of NADOC. <laughs> and that frustration, I mean, do you – I speak to Indigenous people in, in, and share Indigenous stories in the work that I do year round. I know that doesn't, isn't the case for everyone. Is it a frustration that you suddenly your phone's running hot in the lead up to <laughs> NAIDOC week? And you're like a NAIDOC ambassador. So you must be like, this must be the busiest week of the year this for you. This is like, yeah, this, this is, is like Christmas. Black, Christmas. It's Black Christmas. It's Black Christmas right now. There's actually a really funny skit on Black comedy where Nakia is saying to her boyfriend, she's like, you know, it's Black Christmas, you know what that means. And she's like getting him to do all of these favours, sexual and otherwise, yeah. because it's Black <laughs> Christmas. But yeah, like my phone has been running hot. But I think, you know, it speaks to the fact that, you know, people are hungry for this sort of content. When we make it around this time of year, people love it so much. And content makers, listen up. This is the sort of thing that, you know, audiences want. It's not all about like, you know, monocultural, you know, ways of doing and being and and knowing and expressing that. Like we see such huge responses. So if you are one of those people who only calls during NAIDOC week, pick up the phone next week or the week after or even at real Christmas, you know, who knows? There's 60,000 years of stories to tap into, isn't there, BB? Mm -hmm. So, you know, get on board with it. Oh, you can't not dance to that one, hey? It's a I good one. It. I love it. From the new Drake album, the extra, extra long double <laughs> album that he released a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that I was thinking about, because there have been a lot of people doing breakdowns um, on this music. And uh, one of the things that emerged was him coming out saying um, his words, not mine, that, you know, just because he's a half cast, it doesn't mean that he doesn't have real black stories to tell. Mm. And I would never use that word, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, interesting term. Interesting term. But I was thinking, you know, as I was listening to the album and listening to his thoughts on the way that people think about him, and he probably could have done a little bit more politically because he talks a lot about Instagram. (laughs) He talks a lot about girls in clubs. He talks a lot about how, woe is me, I'm so sad. Mm -hmm. Poor Drizzy. (laughs) Poor Drizzy, sad boy Drizzy. Poor rich Drizzy. Yeah, and Pusha T and all this sort of beef. But there's never really been a more difficult time to be, you know, a black person in America. I mean, bar all of the stuff that happened, you know, during colonial times. But he has neglected a lot of that in in his art. And I can't help but to think if you want to be taken more seriously as a black artist like the Carters or or like Kanye, then you probably need to start including stuff that's a bit more meaningful than like Instagram. I'm in two minds for Drake. And I mean, I, I listened to this record and again, like every other Drake record I listened to, I really like his style in terms of the sound of his voice. I love the production, but then I listened to the lyrics and I was like, Oh God. <laughs> Why? And I think that, I think that he just, the thing that frustrates me is that I sort of think you're not actually that person. You're just speaking to a world of fuck boys, mm. sad boys who think the world's against them. And you know that that sells records mm. and you're cultivating this culture of people who are really quite, 
insufferable who think that vapid yeah vapid and also just don't think that the world's against them when really they're quite privileged and they're doing fine and i think that he knows that and it's a marketing ploy and that makes it worse than actually being a fuckboy himself so Mm. there's that part of it but i never thought in this world of and he is a pop artist in this world of pop music and and hip-hop i know that he's been constantly trying to have that sense of importance and there's always the but you're under grassy and you grew up in a middle class neighborhood you know you think about that when he does have the talks about being in the hood and stuff like that and you're like well it's not really your experience but that's another thing <laughs> but i don't know whether he actually wants to be that spokesperson and it, it kind of recalls that this great article that i read and I actually banged on about um a few weeks ago that tahanese Coates wrote about kanye west and it was around the time that kanye released this mm. album or was about to release his album and the pressure on him and this kind of mental breakdown that Kanye has had, which has now been kind of revealed, you know, opioid addiction, all of this stuff, and the pressure on black men that is far greater than the pressure on any white man or, uh, you know, other artist when they're successful, they then have to represent a whole community mm. and how that pressure can cripple Someone. It's an amazing article. Yeah. You might remember that I banged on about a little while ago, but it just gave me such an insight into that that feeling of what if you just want to make bangers? What if you want to talk about vapid stuff and mm. then, but then because you're a person of color, you're expected to bring something more. And I totally get what you're saying because yeah. it is such a singular time in America and North America because he's Canadian, but. Yeah. Is he allowed to just be? Is he allowed to be vapid? Well, I think he is allowed to be vapid, but then he can't go around saying, "Take me more seriously." Yeah, I'm more than just you know, um, like it's like he wants to be seen as more black than than what he thinks he is, or than what other people think he is. And you know, I'm not the decider of who's the blackest person in the world. I don't go around being like, "Okay, well, you're allowed to be black. You're allowed to be black." That's not my place. You're obviously. not the fairy godmother. Of I'm black. not the fairy. <laughs> if anything, I'm probably one of the most caramel black fellas getting around. You know, I've, I've got a great tan year yeah. round. You know, I just look like I've always come back from holiday. Basically, I do love it when I introduce you to people and they comment on your great tan. They're like, "Wow, where your are eyes, you've your been, face. you've been in Fiji or something." No, no, no. Got this tan in the womb. Yeah, had it for a while. <laughs> Still my favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> so like I get that there is that pressure on um on people of color to always be engaging in political discussion, but I think that he can't have it both ways and want to be taken really seriously and be a part of these discussions, but then this massive platform that he has where he's the, you know the most streamed artist where he has this, you know, massive voice and not inject more of um, people of colour's experience into that. Do you think that that's true for most artists these days, that if you're making art and you've got any sort of platform, uh, a background uh, as a person of colour or a background in politics, that you're compelled to just, uh, you know, I guess reflect what the world is doing, that you that you have to make art that, that captures the culture at the time? I think that if your experience is that and you're not reflecting it, then people can see through it and it's just not real. And I think that that was the the overwhelming um, feeling that I had as I was listening to Drake. I just thought this isn't real enough for me, you know, 
um, I, I wanted more from it. Um, you know, it's great musically, like you can listen to it. And there are like, you know, moments of it being serious, like nice for what, you know, features more women and, and that's a great message as well. But yeah, I think that if he wants to be taken more seriously in that arena, then he probably has to be a little bit more serious and not just talk about the clubs or oh, the gram. I wonder what kind of audience makeup he has. Because I know that whenever you see like Childish Gambino and he's very, you know, distinctly changed his style with This Is America. Mm. And even with Awaken My Love, he was going into more quote unquote black styles of music as opposed to, you know, I guess going into more of a pop realm before that. Beyonce is someone as well who started performing with a lot more references to black culture that she doesn't try to explain, you know, Mm. and that she doesn't, you know, she's starting to uh, tell stories that speak directly to one part of the community and it's the responsibility of the the white population who are watching it and enjoying it. And she obviously has a huge amount of fans who are white and they've got to figure it out. Like Mm. she's not making it easy anymore. So maybe Drake needs to take a few leaves out of their book. Yeah. Shoot a film clip or two in the Louvre or something. (laughs) (laughs) Dance around in front of some beautiful statues. I don't know. That's what I do every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a normal Friday night for me. <laughs> now, baby, did you see this amazing video that's gone viral? Uh, a little uh, woman sitting in a park, lovely day, picnic blankets out, the sun is shining, and she is offering her ice cream cone to her little dash hound, and then he has a good old lick. Uh, according to the Daily Mail, 22 licks, in fact. And I then they counted that. <laughs> That's a Daily Mail. That was someone's job. They got that, yeah. It's a Daily Mail. It's very, very, um, the pinnacle of journalism. She then, um, without even thinking, or, or maybe she was thinking, but not even caring what she was doing, you know, dog has a good old lick. And then she just pulls the ice cream back and returns the cone to her own mouth <laughs> and starts going at it. <laughs> oh, that makes me feel sick. That and is it's, people so are disgusted disgusting. by this, that a woman has shared her ice cream cone uh, with her dog. And it's kind of caused some great think pieces or just maybe more <laughs> warning articles reminding people that um, the problem is that dogs like eating other dogs' feces. <laughs> like if you needed a reminder of <laughs> just the a gross reminder. stuff that goes in your dog's mouth. The other things that you're <laughs> They lick each other's crotches for crying out loud. We see this on the street. They eat their own vomit. I did you hear? Uh, this is the thing. When I was reading this, I was like, oh, my God, I remember when I was younger, and I probably still somehow believe it today, someone told me one time that dogs' mouths were – like their saliva was sterile, mm-hmm. so it, it like you couldn't catch anything and it was fine to let them kiss you. Because... Why do I, I remember that? No, I remember thinking the same thing. When I read this, I, I had this memory or like this idea that the dog's mouth is the cleanest place on earth or Someone something. Someone said that to Like me I remember time. that being some sort of phrase or saying and it's obviously not true. I don't know why we would think that or where. Who's starting these rumours? I don't know. Maybe it's the dog. dog. It's the dog uprising. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love this quote. The dog, <laughs> the dog uprising. Woof. Isle of Dogs. Or something. <laughs> Sam, what are you banging on about this week? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking, Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, banging on about a fashion documentary. I love fashion documentaries. It actually opens today. If you're listening to Bang On, if you're a true believer of the Bang Fam and you've downloaded it on Thursday, July the 12th, 
then you'll be able to see this film from today onwards. It is a documentary called The Gospel According to Andre, and it is about Andre Leon Talley, who is a name you might not know, but you'd, you'd recognise this guy. If you ever see anything in a fashion show where there's this hugely tall black man with this kind of like st- sort of uh, buzz cut, high haircut, and often wears, like he's a really tall, big guy, wears these massive capes um, every time that he's out there, you know, at the Met Gala or any sort of fashion show. And he's often hanging out with Anna Wintour because he's the, I think he's the editor-in-chief of Vogue. And this is the story of his life. Um, He basically, I have only known him through seeing him, he's very media savvy, he does lots of different things on television and he's obviously always out and about in fashion fields. But I had no idea about his backstory and it's a fascinating backstory. He basically grew up in the South, uh, I think in North Carolina, in a very Christian neighbourhood, a family. Um, And he grew up as a very camp gay man who was hugely tall, stuck out like a sore thumb in the South with a love of fashion. So just imagine that he's growing up, you know, in the kind of Mm. 50s and 60s. Uh, in a time where being an overly camp, very tall black man would have caused a lot of people to turn their heads. You would have noticed it. You would have noticed it. And it's interesting because you can tell throughout the, the, the story of this film is that he's basically, he's he's a real, it's hard to kind of crack the surface of him. And you, you get this sense that he's basically just built up this huge sheet of armor because he's probably dealt with a lot of racism and mutterings behind his back while he's been trying to make it you know, lived in France for a while, speaks fluent French, knows all the designers, but has kind of had to fight his way in there. And you can imagine the amount of times where he's just heard things and gone, I'm just going to suck it up because I just need to ignore this and move on in order to succeed. I don't want to ruffle feathers. I guess to the effect of which he's just internalised all of this and there's a couple of moments in the film where you can just see that pain, that pain of a lifetime of fighting and internalised you know, the racism that he's felt against him and the homophobia he's felt against him. It's just, it's so powerful. It's also, he's an unbelievable character. His knowledge and love of fashion is just so beautiful to watch. And then just seeing all of these characters like Anna um, and, you know, many of the designers and and models and stuff just talk about him with such reverence and love. It's, you know, if you love fashion documentaries or just great documentaries, then highly recommend The Gospel According to Andre. Just really interesting. And again, that idea of like thinking about, you know, black American politics and being a black man in America or a black woman in America right now and think about, you know, what was it like in the 50s and 60s Mm. when you were that guy? It's just, it's quite phenomenal. He must have to be so bloody resilient. To so have resilient with that. And I guess like you're saying, he would have had to develop mechanisms to, to protect himself from all of that hate and from that pain. He decided not to fight against it because he thought the way that I'm going to get ahead is just by moving on. Mm. But you still hear that and you'd still feel all the things that people are saying about yeah. you. So, yeah, it's a really great doco. Poor fella. What are you banging on about? Well, this piece that I read in the New York magazine about um, Donald Trump and about Barack Obama. And the thing that I loved about this piece in particular was about um, the silence from Barack Obama since he's been, um, since he's not been president. You know, he's been off doing his own thing. He's got his little office set up that's still in Washington and he's focusing on their Netflix series and a bunch of other stuff. Like he set up a charitable foundation. So it's put together with a whole bunch of people who have worked with him very closely and who have worked with Trump and have worked around um, politics. And, um, 
it's the most distant relationship between a former president and a current president that we've seen in a very, very, very long time. Mm. And there have been so many times when um, people thought, oh, well, this is it. This is it. Obama's going to say something now. He's going to come out and he's going to correct the record or he's going to pull him up for saying this. Or, you know, this is inappropriate. He can't, um, you know, he can't say this about the FBI. He can't say this about um, courts, you know, because there have been so many times when he's, he's done things that sort of undermine the rule of law or that, you know, the very foundations of their democracy have been threatened. And um, so it's, it's just a really interesting piece about Obama's strategy, about his leadership and about the, um, you know, know how he's responded to the American public's will uh, you know that the, the fact that they voted for Donald Trump um, apparently there was one particular scenario where Donald Trump gave a speech to a bunch of scouts and this speech apparently was filled with um, you know some pretty vile rhetoric and everyone thought okay this is the time you know he's speaking to children I remember that speech yeah, yeah. Um, Obama's gonna have to come out and say something now and he thought very long and hard about it and was nearly going to, but then decided not to. Anyway, this piece, go and read it. It's, it's fantastic. I'll put a link in the show notes. And of course, as always, a link in the show notes for everything that we're banging on about this week. BB, happy NADOC week. Happy NADOC week. Because of you, I can. Because of you, I can. Because Zan. of you, I can bang on. Yeah. Thanks for being part of the bang gang. It's hot, isn't it? It's really hot. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And also something else that I'm banging on about is a little project that I worked on um, for telly called Her Story. And basically it brings together some talented and well-known Indigenous Australian women. And um, we talk about things like the arts, film, theatre, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and there are some really special moments with um, Nakia Louie, Nayuka Gori, Sally Riley and Rachel Perkins. Sweet. And so um, if you are a true member of the Bang Fam and you're downloading today, it's on ABC TV tonight at 8.50. Otherwise, you'll catch it on iView. Awesome. Thanks, BB. No worries. Bye. Bye. Bang. 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 Bang on. I love that sketch that Nikita does. Yeah. Did you see it where she's like, you have to make me come? Yeah. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's NADOC. Yeah, it's NADOC. <laughs> Double J.